The following program is brought to you by Total Theater Online. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff or management of WGBB. You're listening to the station that serves your community, 1240 WGBB. And now it's time for Dave's Gone By with David Lefkowitz. Welcome to the spooky, spooky, spooky Halloween edition of Dave's Gone By, an hour of talk radio, comedy, music, and chills. Actually, with nukes in North Korea, bus bombs in Tel Aviv, hijackers in Moscow, and snipers in Washington, who needs Halloween? But we've got a kinder, gentler kind of scary tonight, a little macabre music here, a little creepy comedy there. Still, not quite appropriate for the kids, so if they're listening, you might want to tuck them in their little beds and hope they're alive in the morning. Not that we're doing anything to traumatize them, or Satan forbid, the FCC, but this isn't a show for eight-year-olds, it's a show for grown-ups that makes them feel like eight-year-olds, which is what it's all about. As I mentioned, we've got menacing music on this, our fourth show, from the likes of Ula Lemper and Kate Bush. We've got an especially dark bunch of news items for you, and a spine-chilling world weird web. Pretty spooky, huh, kids? We've also got some pretty normal stuff, including a farewell to Adolph Green, and a chat with my special guest, the lovely, the talented, the very unspooky actress, Karen Young. But first, it's the extra eerie news gone by with a week in review. News with a creepy Halloween tinge this week. The first one, a local story from Newsday, could really come from a modern horror movie. Two-year-old Cameron Gulbranson was fast asleep last Saturday night in Woodbury when his father, a beloved pediatrician, peeked in on him after getting home from dinner with friends. The doctor then went downstairs to move the family car out of a neighbor's driveway. But unknown to him and his wife, the little boy, dressed in pajamas and dragging a blue blanket, woke up and followed his father out the front door. The boy walked to the end of the driveway just as Gulbranson was backing in his BMW sport utility vehicle. The man neighbors describe as a figure straight out of Norman Rockwell ran over and killed his own son. I felt a bump, Gulbranson told the police. I didn't know what it was. He got out of the car, saw what happened, put the boy on the lawn, and started CPR. Bleeding profusely, the child was pronounced dead of head trauma one hour later. No charges have been filed, as the death appears to be accidental tragedy. Neighbors are dumbfounded, all of them stunned that this could happen to such an ideal family. They were even more shocked when they heard that, despite reaching a speed of nearly 10 miles per hour, the SUV did not flip over. From Reuters comes the news of a California woman who allegedly flew into a rage and repeatedly bit her husband because he refused to have sex with her. The 65-year-old man died after being bitten <laughs> bitten more than 20 times by his 45-year-old wife, Kelly Pratt. Said a Modesto police sergeant, the husband was able to dial 911. We have a tape recording of him screaming while she was biting him. When officers arrived, she fought with them and tried to bite them too. That said, most of the husband's bites were confined to his arm and abdomen, and few were very deep with major tissue damage, unquote. Mr. Pratt also had a history of medical problems such as diabetes, heart, and circulation trouble. Kelly Pratt is being held on charges of elder abuse, domestic violence, and assault on a police officer. And the local forensic pathologist believes the severity of her biting merits a homicide charge. 
Still, I find it hard to believe that this all happened from a lack of sex. If anything, it sounds like the real danger with this woman was oral sex. I'm not saying she was rough, but Mr. Pratt was the only guy I've ever heard of who would glue barbed wire to his condoms. And reportedly, Kelly Pratt had already, has already tried to hang herself in prison, not from remorse or physical violence from other prisoners, but from having to endure jokes about fava beans and an ice chianti roughly 600 times a day. In entertainment news, a fond farewell to actor Richard Harris and a true Broadway legend, Adolf Green, the lyricist and librettist died October 23rd at age 86, although, let's face it, he looked 112 for the past 20 years, with Betty Comden, his writing partner and sometimes cabaret partner, but not his wife, that's Phyllis Newman, with Betty Comden. He wrote the book and lyrics for such shows as Applause, Hallelujah Baby, the Tony-winning Will Rogers Follies, and the two Leonard Bernstein classics On the Town and Wonderful Town. Broadway tried to be kind to Green in his later years, with George C. Wolfe directing an expensive but noisy On the Town in 1998, and Faith Prince starring in a rather muffled Bills Are Ringing in 2001. Both were flops, and to some extent you could blame the libretti. The shows were exuberant and easy to please, uh, eager to please, excuse me, but just a bit too corny and weightless to invest any real emotion into. Still, this is the team that wrote the screenplay for Singing in the Rain, it doesn't get better than that, and wrote or contributed to such songs as Make Someone Happy, Hello, Hello There, Just in Time, Never Never Land from Peter Pan, and this one from Bells Are Ringing. He's in love with militant Scott, a girl who doesn't exist. He's in love with someone you're not, and so remember, it was never you. Party's over It's time to call it a day No matter how you pretend You knew it would end this way It's time to wind up The masquerade Just make your mind up the piper must be paid. The party's over. The candles flicker and dim. You dance and dream through the night. It seemed to be right just being with him. Now you must wake is over It's all
Judy Holiday from the 1956 original cast recording of Bells Are Ringing, The Party's Over, music by Julie Stein. And the party is over for Adolph Green, turning green, but resting in peace. In ghostly biblical news, a burial box recently discovered in Israel and dating to the first century could be the oldest archaeological link to Jesus Christ. French scholar André Lemaire told the Associated Press an inscription on the box in Aramaic reads, James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. There's no proof that the Jesus mentioned on the ossuary is that Jesus, but the box does appear to be an authentic relic of the period three decades after the crucifixion. Adding urgency to the find are some other items that were unearthed at the same time. Among them, a pair of bronze cufflinks with the initials JC inscribed on them, an itemized bill for carpentry work with a note at the top reading, please give to your dad, and an eight-track tape of the Psalms of David, actually sung by David, with a handwritten post-it reading, dear Mary, sorry I called you a whore, was pissed off about the temple thing, let's do supper, Jay. In further news of the ancient world, a professor at Long Island University received an interesting package in the mail, an authentic, mummified human hand. The hand apparently belonged to an upper-class woman in her 20s or 30s living 3,000 years ago. The woman who mailed it to the professor said her father bought two mummified hands from small boys in Egypt when he was studying to be a minister there in 1926. Further information may be slow in coming because the other hand he bought is nowhere to be found, and the woman's father, though still alive, is 101 and suffering from dementia. The discovery comes only a few days after the news that a desiccated mummy was found intact in Washington, D.C. Tightly wound but emaciated, the skeletal figure terrified its founders until they realized it was not an ancient Egyptian king, but rather Senator Strom Thurmond taking his afternoon snooze. In extra ghoulish news, rock star Alice Cooper is opening a new haunted house attraction in Phoenix, Arizona. Titled Alice Cooper's Nightmare The Breakdown, the amusement center promises to have lifelike props, high-tech robots, and computer movement systems. One rejected idea was the Tunnel of Dreck, in which patrons were locked in a room and forced to listen to a steady stream of Alice Cooper's music. Customers rated that attraction a 10 on the horror meter, but managers of the haunted house hated having to run out and buy more pink sawdust. Finally, closing this special Things That Go Bump in the News edition of News Gone By, it looks like the Beltway nightmare has come to an end. John Allen Muhammad and his juvenile accomplice, John Malvo, have been arrested in connection with a month-long series of shootings in Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. A former Army soldier and National Guardsman and, surprise, a convert to that gentle religion Islam, Muhammad modified his used Chevrolet so he could fire comfortably out the back without being seen. Towards the end of the manhunt, Muhammad also begged to be caught, leaving notes on trees, giving out his phone number, making generic threats against children, and requesting $10 million in blackmail. This desperation may be attributed to a lack of a good night's sleep, since Muhammad and Malvo apparently spent the last week catching their Z's in the Chevy, which is where they were caught by Montgomery County Police. Since they'll now have plenty of time to rest and relax, say 800 to 900 consecutive years, 700 with good behavior, I thought it only fitting to dedicate this 40-year-old ballad by Gobel Reeves to them, lyrics slightly revised. Oh. 
to sleep, you weary sniper. Soon the world will watch you die. Can't you hear the steel chains clanking? That's a sniper's lullaby. You'll no longer have a rifle when your trigger fingers itch. Fear will be your new companion. Fear and some dude who calls you bitch. Thank you very much. Yes, a little faster, boys. Ten dead bodies cry for blood now. They shall not leave you in peace. I will say one good thing for you. You gotta steal on that caprice. So when you die, go to Hades. Take that Malvo with you too. You can call yourself Muhammad, but you're still screwed 'cause God's a Jew. So go to sleep, you filthy garbage. Spend your days too scared to cry. Hear that mercy seat a humming. That's. A sniper's lullaby, cowboys. That's the news gone by for pre-Halloween week, ending October 27, 2002. Thank you, Eddie Hug and the Moonshiners, for your music. Send your comments, opinions, and mummified body parts to Dave's Gone By, P.O. Box 62, Hewlett, New York 11557-0062, or email us at davesgoneby at aol.com. Unless otherwise requested, all comments and questions may be read on the air. Name withheld upon request. That's davesgoneby at uh, aol.com or snail mail box 62, Hewlett, New York. One one five five seven dash zero zero six two. Please, no spent cartridges. I'm allergic. Broadway, off Broadway, cabaret. These are magical words conjuring up a universe of great entertainment. If you want to know everything about what's happening on the stages of New York, you need to get Performing Arts Insider magazine. For 60 years, Performing Arts Insider has been a bible of the industry. It tells you when shows are opening and closing, what they're about, who's in the cast, designers, writers, composers, contacts for producers and managers, box office info, parental guides, everything you need to know if you care about theater, opera. And dance too, as the chief editor of Backstage put it. Performing Arts Insider is who, what, where, and when all the facts at your fingertips. For more information, how to subscribe or get a sample issue, call five one six two nine five one five one one, or go to www.totaltheater.com and click on Performing Arts Insider. Is it Halloween already? 
Oh, no, I didn't prepare anything. All the kids will come to my door expecting candy. What should I do? Don't let this happen to you. Halloween, like ghosts and goblins, has a way of sneaking up behind you. And with your busy schedule, who has time to deal with razor blades, hypodermic needles, and mercury compounds? Well, don't panic. Just head to your local sociopath mark and pick up a package of Mortimer's pre-tampered yummies. That's right, all the mayhem of doctored candies without the incriminating evidence and hassle. Why settle for plain old chocolate bars dipped in rat poison when you can offer scaggles? 30% chocolate, 50% calcium senicide, 20% X-lax, all in a Hershey-like wrapper. They'll never tell the difference. Till an hour later, for something with a little more zing, how about Piercy Pieces? A delicious cherry lollipop with a nougat center, and in the middle, jagged bits of rusted metal, guaranteed to pierce the palate or your money back. And if you want your victims to be the envy of the emergency room, why not give the trick-or-treaters in your life Mr. Bad Bar? Each individually wrapped candy contains the minimum toxic requirement of Drano and caustic bleach. It's delicious. It's vicious. It's untraceable. And for the kids whose mummies and daddies won't let them eat candy, there's asthma apples. Fresh-picked Macintosh apples injected with pollen mold spores, and ground peanuts. Just wait till you see the reaction. Allergic reaction, that is. So this Halloween, don't sit jealously watching the news while other maniacs get the glory. Count on Mortimer's, a distrusted name in tampered candy since 1972. Terrorize their tummies with pre-tampered yummies and let the trick or tricking begin. Mortimer's, a division of Wizzo Chocolate Candies UK Limited, battery acid not included.
A little underwater music from Udelemper, a composition by Nick Cave and Bruno Pisek titled Little Water Song that's from the Punishing Kiss collection, in which Lemper covers Elvis Costello, The Divine Comedy, Tom Waits, and an amazing version of Tango Ballad from Three Penny Opera. You're listening to Dave's Gone By on 1240 WGBB. It's 1126. Dave's got guests. Well, one guest. Ms. Karen Young, actress for uh, quite a few years now, has done more than a dozen films and is currently off-Broadway in a show called Cheat, and you can also see her as a recurring character on The Sopranos. Tell us a little bit about that character, first of all. In The Sopranos? Please. Uh, I am playing uh, an FBI agent who is now uh, dogging Adriana. You know, the undercover FBI agent was exposed. So they have brought in another FBI agent, but it's not undercover. It's all up above. She has to report to us and tell information to us. If she doesn't, she'll go to jail for 25 years for possession of cocaine. Ah, okay. And tell us about Cheat, which I think runs till November 3rd? November 3rd. At the Women's Project Theater, is now called the Women's Project. It used to be a theater company in a different building, like Theater 4 or something. It used to be at at American Place Theater, and they've recently got their own building at, uh, on 55th Street, on the corner, you know, it's near, between 9th and 10th Avenues, so, yeah. Okay, Um, but tell us more about the play, and what it's about, and, and your... Well, it's, uh, it's Cheat is written by Julie Jensen. Uh, she, she is from Michigan. She lives in Utah now. And uh, it's a beautiful story. It's the story of two women working in a munitions factory at the end of World War II. The end of World War II is significant to the play because they have been working these years, you know, when the men were off on the front, the women are home, you know, having the jobs. It's about the relationship between myself and a younger woman. Uh, I have a son who was he, uh, her girlfriend. And he finds out that she and I are having an affair, gets very upset, runs off and enlists in the final days of World War Two, and is killed. Okay. So the play deals with the aftermath, you know, um, how that changes, obviously, their relationship, and what becomes of her, the young girl. Right. I mean, it's, it's a sad, dramatic story, but since we want to st- sell tickets, let's remember there is a lesbian subtext. So, and this is yeah, radio, we have, so to, is that not clear? have to push that, yeah. <laughs> no, just reminding people that yeah. that's there. Well, um, it was kind of shocking when I read it. <coughs> because of the time period, you weren't expecting that being there or yeah I wasn't expecting uh, an older woman and a younger woman works for me no I'm (laughs) well it's you know the the older man younger woman is a familiar scenario older woman younger woman is not so commonly represented I don't think and especially when you think back to World War II you have a lot of preconceptions oh you know, I think a lot of people think homosexuality did probably didn't even exist back then. You know, it was a product of, you know... Well, uh, it didn't exist in media. It didn't yeah, exist in, yeah. in upper, you know, culture above ground, as it were. Right. So to have a play that dealt with it, you know, in a beautiful way, I might add, but, 
but it is, and it's not explicit, but it is obvious. <laughs> well, you just lost a lot of ticket sales there, but still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but you actually have a family, and you've been living in New York for New York City for a period of years, even though you mm-hmm. do quite a bit of movie work. Uh, yeah. Some of the films that you've been in include everything from Hoffa and uh, Birdie and Heat, Torch Song Trilogy as well, to uh, the $10 million getaway and Handgun and Jaws for the Revenge, which yeah. uh, never forget. But, I mean, is are you commuting back and forth constantly, or do you kind of make New York because you have kids and stuff? your home base. Now I stay here. I I go to Los Angeles for business trips for two weeks at a time, generally about three times a year. Uh, but the rest of the time I'm here. So when I get a film that usually involves travel, so I'll go on location. And but the last couple of years I have been fortunate in doing television in New York which I wish there was more of because it's such a great way to make a living and you don't have to leave home. So I have done Third Watch. I've done uh, Law and Order, Criminal Intent, and I just did a new Law and Order, you know, back in the The February. original, right. Mm-hmm. The, the, the first one before show. the other eight, yeah. Yes, and now, of course, The Sopranos, you know, which is just great. Have you noticed that um, the industry here for television and film has changed at all since 9-11? Uh, no, I think it, you know, I, I remember right after 9-11, I had an audition two days after 9-11, and they kept it, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, I thought, gee, this is odd, but I guess, you know, you know, things go on, and, and so I went to it. Things were subdued. It was down on Canal Street, so oh it was gosh. a little, yeah, I mean, it was when we came out of, and I came out of the subway, I, you know, uh, it was quite... It was quite a shock. I mean, it was all closed off and everything. Right. Um, Which was that the one at Playwrights Horizons? That show, the Wax, you were in uh, about a year. Yeah, that was. I had done the Wax before then. That was in the the autumn of 2000, and that closed in January of 2001. So that was before that. Oh, so what show was that, or is that a show that you ended up not doing, or? um, Oh, that was just an audition for a film. Ah. Gotcha. That I didn't get. Mm. <laughs> what movie? I don't even remember. To be honest with you, I can't. Wait a minute. I can't. Oh, it was about the life of Harvey Picar. That name rings a bell. Who yeah, was he was the he was a comic strip writer. Oh, is it the the had cat? to do with the. Uh, oh. Crumb and all those guys. You know, it yeah. was about his life, though. But it was a film. It wasn't yeah. a documentary. Yeah. Speaking of, actually, one of the questions I was going mm-hmm. to ask you, one of the, the weird ones was, um, have there been films that you've been up for that you really wanted and didn't get, and would you be willing to say what some of them might have been? Oh, well, it, it's it's an odd thing, you know, um, I was up for a film about the end of the world <laughs> that I really wanted, and, uh... It, it wasn't until the end of the world of Inventors, it was... It was like called Miracle Mile, and yeah. it was, I just thought it was just this wonderful script, you know, and it was, uh, this young man finds out that the world is ending by accident, and so he, he has fallen in love with this woman that day, so he decides he's going to go and tell her and save them both. And in the end of the movie, you know, they're both, obviously, they're going to die. And it's very, very sweet. 
Yeah. And it was very, I just wanted to do it, you know. I mean, it was about them, so you're on screen the entire time, and it was just about them. Did you it know. get, do you know if it got made? And oh, who? sure. Oh, I'm, I'm not familiar with the film, Mom. Yeah. So, do you remember who was in it? Uh, Mayor Winningham got the part. Oh, gosh, yeah. And I can't remember who the who the man was. But it was just one of those movies that just kind of grabs your imagination, and, and uh, I just really wanted to do it. And I remember being upset not getting it. And I'm usually not upset about not getting things. I mean, you can't be upset and have, you know, yeah. have a longevity in your career because it just takes too much out of you. Speaking of upset, uh, another <laughs> question that, I, that I've been asking when I've, since I've been doing interviews for a few years now in various media is, especially of actors and performers, your most embarrassing stage moment, either being part of or witnessing from the wings or... Uh. Um, well, I was in A Lie of the Mind. Uh, the Sam Shepard play. Yeah, yeah, directed, written and directed by Sam Shepard. Geraldine Page had been um, the original mom for me, and it was very upsetting to lose her. The woman who took her place, she and I didn't get along. And uh, oh. one night she came in, and, and uh, she was supposed to come in, say her line, and shut the door. And she didn't. She wouldn't let go of it. So I took it. And we fought over the door, and I slammed it shut. Yeah. And every, uh, we were just all kind of shocked on stage. <laughs> I'm just angry. Um, you know, were the characters playing into that? Were they characters yeah. that did not get along? Yeah. Mm, yes and no. Yeah, you could, you could read it that way. It was definitely appropriate. It was definitely appropriate to do. It was a little. It was not the staging as it had been staged. But then again. She didn't do the staging as she had been directed. So I kind of took charge in a way, you know, I probably should not have. Well, were there repercussions? I mean, what happened in the next show? Oh, what happened there the rest were of no that repercussions. Yeah. I mean, how can there be in the theater? I mean, that you know, what you have up there is what you're getting. There's no going back. Oh, well, yeah, but I'm saying the next uh, time you did the scene, pl- the scene she just she closed did the door. She was supposed to. I remember that. Well, and you did not speak again, <laughs> except on stage. We, 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 we worked it out, you know. But cool. it, was imba- it, was Im- it wasn't embarrassing, but it was sort of um, not... It wasn't embarrassing. I just have to say it was a little... Uncomfortable? Uh, yeah, uncomfortable. There was a third actor on stage who had to <laughs> deal with it all. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> it wasn't just us. Yeah, but no, I've heard stories much, much worse than that. Um, Let me close on something a little lighter and uh, basically wondering, and another question I tend to ask everybody, when did you realize that acting was going to be it for you? How old were you? Did you see a a particular performance somewhere? What was it? Um, I was 19, and I was in my junior year of college. I was an English literature major, and I took an acting class. Someone said, why don't you just take an acting class? I have a feeling you would enjoy it. So I did. And I was very fortunate in that I got a wonderful acting teacher, uh, one of the few people who could teach acting. Who's, who would this be? His name is David Galakowski. He has since died. And, uh, but but okay. he's still a wonderful acting teacher. He's just, uh, you know, slower. Yeah. Well, he, well, yeah. But he, he, he took me aside and said, you have to pursue this. I was just waiting for someone to tell me what to do with my life, you know, waiting for some sign, 
You know, I, I had no idea. I knew I was an English literature major and liked to read books, but I said, okay, I will. But it was too late. I was already a junior, and I didn't want to go back and start the theater program over from scratch. So I came to New York instead and started studying independently with an acting teacher named Paul Austin at the Image Theater Studio on 42nd Street, and I took voice lessons independently with Ann Sachs. She teaches at Juilliard now. So I had two very good teachers, you know, uh, I did scene study with Paul and, and uh, I did voice work with her. And do you still take any classes or do you have a tutor or how do you brush up? Well, I do movement class twice a week and that's assen- I find it essential, you know, it keeps you limber and it keeps you in touch, you know, it keeps your, your head, your heart and your body all connected. You know, and during those periods when you're not working, it's very easy to just kind of focus on the fact that you're not working. And, you know, it's very grounding to do movement. It's not a dance class, although there is music, but it's it's more of a movement class. And also, whenever I do a role on stage, I have Paul read the script, and then we sit and talk about it. Cool. And then he comes to the first preview. So I have my teacher, you know, at that first preview... And the directors don't balk? I mean, they don't... Well, it's not about the direction of the play ever. It's only strictly for... It's me, what I am doing as an actress. Cool. Do you know? Well, what Karen Young is currently doing as an actress is Cheat Off-Broadway at the Women's Project and Productions Theater on West 55th between 9th and 10th. And you can also see her on The Sopranos, at least for another couple of weeks, as her FBI character continues. Karen, I want to thank you for coming to beautiful Merrick, Long Island, WGBB. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. Start spreading the news. There's a new magazine in town with the latest stories and reviews about everything on stage, on and off magazine. It's a glossy, full-color guide to theater, dance, comedy, and cabaret in New York City. The best part is it's free. You can find on and off around town at theaters, restaurants, hotels, and community and information centers. Visit www.onandoffstage.com for more information and let on and off be your guide. And this is Dave from Dave's Gone By. I want to give a plug to Don Lewis, host of another show on this radio station, Entertainment Long Island, Sunday nights at 10. It's an hour of interviews and advice about how to get started as a performer, be it for business or a hobby. Every show has trivia questions, giveaways, live music. We heard Eddie and uh, the Moonshiners before on this show. They're on every one of Don's shows, and he's a real pro. He puts on a good show. So give a listen to Entertainment Long Island, 10 p.m. Sundays, right before my show on WGBB, because the stage is a world. Of entertainment. I hate Halloween. I know it's silly and just a commercial holiday, but it still gives me the creeps. You never know who's behind the door for trick-or-treat. Some of these older kids... I've heard of people being robbed because they ring the bell wearing costumes and they come in and take everything. But if you're scared and you don't open the door, the kids come around and throw eggs at the house or put shaving cream on the car. Or worse... Maybe they wait for you the next morning. You're leaving for work and they slash your tires. Or they can sneak into the back seat the night before, wait for you to sit in the front, and then cut your throat. I feel like people are watching me through the window, watching everything I do, hearing everything I say. If I close the blinds, they'll know, and then they'll come after me. Wait, I'm being paranoid. I have to get control here. It's just a silly holiday. Millions of people celebrate every year 
everything's fine. Nothing's going to happen. No one's out to get me. Oh, God. Oh, God, who is that? It's nine o'clock at night. No one calls me this late on a weeknight. I won't answer it. I'll just let it ring. No, wait. They know I'm home. The lights are on. Oh, God, why didn't I fix my answering machine? And if I don't answer, that'll make them angrier. But what if they... No, I won't answer. Oh, God, make it stop. Now, calm down. Just calm down. It's just a telephone. Nothing can hurt me. I mean, after all, it's just a phone call, right? Oh, God, I'm so scared. But I have to answer. It's like I have no choice. It's like they're making me. Oh, God, here it goes. Hello? Hi, my name is Anthony from Verizon, and I'd like to tell you about a special package long-distance plan. How are you this evening? Are you upset because of your current long-distance usage? Well, we have a calling plan that combines everything into one easy monthly payment. It's only $27.95, and you get... Hi, Karen Young. I don't live on Long Island, but if, if you're I did, I listen to Days Gone By. Every Sunday night at 11 on AM 1240 WGBB, the station that would serve your community if the signal reached. That's Days Gone By... Sundays at 11. If you're a big fan of Dave's Gone By, and I know I am, why not join the Bystanders, the official Dave's Gone By fan club? Because you can receive a bi-monthly newsletter devoted to the show, get a weekly special email, an autographed membership card, eligible for discounts on show merchandise and local businesses, receive a one-hour best-of audio tape, including favorite moments from the show, and maybe even stuff we couldn't put on the radio. All this for just $10. For the newsletter, the discounts, the email, and the collector's item audio tape, it's a great deal. And if you join before December 31st, 2002, we'll throw in a signed picture of the host. Just make a $10 check or money order payable to Total Theater and send it to Total Theater Radio. P.O. Box 62, that's 62, Hewlett, New York, H-E-W-L-E-T-T, New York, 11557-0062. For more information about the fan club, email us at davesgoneby at aol.com. Well, children, it's time for the World Beard Web, the weekly segment where we look at odd and unusual sites on the Internet worth your time and attention. Of course, this week we've dug up a particularly gruesome couple of URLs, venture only at your own risk. First off, and worst off, it's Rotten.com. That's www.rotten.com. Now, before you go there, I do warn you, some of the content is the kind of stuff you'd see on America's Funniest Home Videos or Jackass, but other things are pretty graphic and disturbing. The homepage bills Rotten.com as being, quote, pure evil since 1996, a collection of images uh, to present the viewer with a truly unpleasant experience. That's their words, not mine. So, on the mild side, the photographs may range from a professional soccer player caught taking a quick pee on the field, to perverted snow sculptures, to a doctor disimpacting a grape jelly jar from a man's colon. But the heavy stuff can range from photos of third world massacres to close-ups of carnage at train and automobile accidents, decapitations, goiters, murdered infants, a boy's hand caught in a meat grinder, severe elephantiasis, and Hollywood stars in the morgue. 
If you want to see what Tupac Shakur looked like after his autopsy, this is the place to find it. All the images, silly and sick, are treated with the same flippant sarcasm, which may be the most disturbing thing about the site. For example, a lead-in to a series of photos of shark attack victims reads, Humans truly are chickens of the sea. For the less faint of heart, there's a large daily collection of offbeat news items, kind of like what we do here every week with news gone by, and a cool gallery of celebrity mugshots, including Bill Gates looking more like a hippie nerd than a geek god. And, no surprise, Rotten.com gets cease and desist letters all the time from various companies. I like this one, from a law firm representing Coca-Cola. Dear Mr. So-and-so, it has come to our attention that your Rotten.com website depicts as the March 2000 F of the month a picture of a Coca-Cola bottle inserted into a woman's anus. Needless to say, this image is not consistent with the goodwill and reputation that the Coca-Cola company has striven over many years to associate with its trademarks. I guess Dr. Pepper was on call that night. But what's really weird about this website is that some of the most gruesome violence is freely accessible to all, while there's a pornographic section that requires a paid membership, chalking up to the typically skewed American mindset about sex and violence, an irony that probably isn't lost on the makers of Rotten.com. They do try hard to explain why the grisly, grisly material is not obscene, I'm not sure I'm convinced, and that parents are responsible for monitoring what children see on the web, not the government. So, if you're prepared for it, Rotten.com offers laughs and jolts, the type you get from a movie like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, only real. Keeping with the death motif, there's a pretty useful site for settling arguments or doing research on famous people. It's the aptly named deadoralive.org. That's dead-or-alive.org. The site contains a searchable list of several thousand notable names, occupations, birth dates, death dates, when applicable, ages at the time of death, and cause of death. The cute part, if you want to call it that, are the little icons next to all the names. The living get a yellow smiley face, the dead have a grinning white skull. There are groupings by age, by recent demisals, even a quiz. For instance, Bob Hope, dead or alive? Believe it or not, still alive. Beach Boy Mike Love, also alive. Flaugist Jean-Pierre Rampal, sorry, died of heart failure May 20th, 2000. And there's also a searchable list of birthdays and, well, death days. For example, happy birthday to John Cleese, born October 27, 1939, former Nashville Endowment for the Arts Chair Jane Alexander, born tomorrow, also 1939, filmmaker Louis Mal, born October 30, 1932, he's dead, by the way, so is comedian John Candy, born on Halloween in 1950. People who died today, October 27th, include bandleader Xavier Cugat and comedian Maury Amsterdam. Talk show host Steve Allen died on October 30th, two years ago, and fittingly, impresarios Federico Fellini and Joseph Papp both died on Halloween. Yet perhaps the most suitable website this week is the one devoted to the late, great Brother Theodore. I mentioned him last week in connection with some comic radio sketches he took part in that are downloadable at catchor.com, K-A-T-C-H-O-R.com, but Theodore Gottlieb was best known for his solo act, a unique, a unique mix of wordplay, insult humor, sick humor, and sheer weirdness that played New York for decades and became a fixture at downtown's 13th Street Theater. As Theodore used to say, people have two reactions. They either hate me or they despise me. 
He was actually beloved by people in the know, who understood that his tantrums and jeering derision were nothing more than a stand-up comedy act, albeit one performed by a real-life survivor of Dachau. The influence of Brother Theodore's brooding comic misanthropy, laced with rage, but also goofiness and awry logic, can be heard in people as disparate as Louis Black, Gilbert Gottfried, and Bobcat Goldthwaite, not to mention paving the way for a zillion performing artists. He was best when doing his own material, but he could also be counted on to add a maniacal comic edge to everything from studio movies like The Burbs to his many late-show appearances on David Letterman. I recently picked up a copy of a virtually unknown movie comedy called That's Adequate, and it has a cameo by Theo. The film is a mock documentary spoofing That's Entertainment and its look at the output of a film studio over several decades. In this case, James Coco plays a lovable, vulgar, Edward D. Wood-type schlock director-producer. His studio, Adequate Pictures, churns out terrible, low-budget crap from the silent era onto television. Basically a string of movie parodies, That's Adequate gets tiring in the long haul, but a few scenes are hysterically funny, with James Coco a risque riot, Tony Randall narrating with typical glum aplomb, and Joe Franklin, of all people, proving to be the funniest straight man I've ever seen. And there's also one short bit with Brother Theodore. He plays the host of a kiddie horror show of the type Vampira and Zachary used to do. This one, set in a real dungeon, is called Dr. Dismal's Daycare Center, with Brother Theodore as the traumatizing Dr. Dismal. We pick it up just in time for story time. Instantly, the forest turned black. Peace. Black. And a giant bat came and baked him in an oven and ate him for dinner, limb by limb, organ by organ. What a night. Now, uh, what's the moral of the story? I mean, what does the story teach us? I'll tell you. Obey your mommy and daddy always. Or else terrible things will happen to you. Ghastly things. Ghoulish things. Ghoulish and grotesque. Especially at night. The show was so terrifyingly effective on test audiences of young children that several of the preschoolers had to undergo psychiatric treatment. The studio received an unprecedented amount of hate mail. Tony Randall and a little brother Theodore there. Adequate. I wish I could say his record albums were readily available or that you can easily find a video of his theater act, but for the moment, those must remain the province of cult collectors and archivists. What you can see is the Brother Theodore Dark Humor website, which has a lengthy bio, some pictures, a filmography, and other goodies, and it also has a URL that's almost as long as his life. He lived to 95 and performed well into his early 90s. It's www.geocities.com forward slash Hollywood forward slash Academy forward slash 8135. Again, that's geocities.com forward slash Hollywood forward slash Academy forward slash 8135 for a look at one of the great outsider comedians of all time, Brother Theodore. And so, my good friends, with Rotten.com, DeadOrAlive.org, and the Brother Theodore site, we conclude this week's World Weird Web. See you next week, 
If you live... Hi, folks. Dave Lefkowitz here from Dave's Gone By, and I want to tell you about a product, event, or service. I'm going to talk about it for half a minute or a minute. I'm going to make it really interesting, and all my listeners are going to go, hey, maybe I'll try this product, event, or service. It's called advertising or sponsorship, and it's easy, cost-effective, and just plain effective. To get your person, place, or thing, well, not thing, promoted on Dave's Gone By and reach listeners all over Brooklyn, Queens, Long Island, and the Tri-State area, just give us a call at 516-295-1511 or email us at davesgoneby at aol.com. Check our website, hometown.aol.com forward slash Dave's Gone By and see sponsorship opportunities, ad rates, and more. Again, the number, 516-295-1511. Insert your product, event, or service here. probably her most compelling album, 1982's The Dreamin'. If you've been putting off your dreaming by staying up late listening to my show tonight, thank you so much. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, spread the word about Dave's Gone By. The more listeners we have, the more advertisers, the more club members, the more we can do to make the show special. Check our website, hometown.aol.com forward slash Dave's Gone By to see a playlist for music on the show, plus all sorts of information about the show. Learn more about the Bystanders Club, advertising, sponsorship, and how you can help support the program. 
Many thanks to my special guest, Karen Young, for the interview and for her yeoman's work in the Verizon sketch, Catch Her in Cheat, by Julie Jensen, directed by jo- Joan Vale Thorne, at the Women's Project Theatre Off-Broadway, now through November 3rd. Thanks also to Don Lewis, host of Entertainment Long Island, 10 o'clock Sunday nights on WGBB, just, for my sh- just before my show, with Eddie and the... Uh, Moonshiners with him. Thank you, station manager Joey, engineer Paul, my assistant and wife Joyce Weil. Happy birthday, Scott Rogalis, my bestest, bestest buddy. Uh, tune in next Sunday. Same time, same place, same voice, same face. Have a great and ghoulish week. Don't miss your days going by. This is Dave Lefkowitz. Good night, good evening, and gone by.